Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship this evening, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us say, online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in the first version of Psalm 25 in the Scottish Psalter. It's page 231. Psalm 25, the first version on page 231. To thee I lift my soul. O Lord, I trust in thee, my God. Let me not be ashamed, nor foes triumph o'er me. Let none that wait on thee be put to shame at all, but those that without cause transgress, let shame upon them fall. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of uh, this song. To thee I lift my soul.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we have been reminded in singing this song once again that true worship of you involves us interacting with you in our souls. We realize that in our fallenness and in our depravity we can go through outward rituals that are just a sham. Sometimes we hoodwink other people. Sometimes we hoodwink ourselves. But we can never ever hoodwink you. Because you know us through and through. And you know us better than we know ourselves. But we realize the psalmist of old 3,000 years ago wanted to lift up his soul in worship of you. And we pray that this night we would engage in similar worship. A worship that is not just in spirit, but a worship that is guided by your truth. And we pray that as we go along life's journey, we would ever be in your truth, reading this book of revelation that you have given to us, so that we do indeed know your ways and seek to walk within them. We know what our ways are and we know that we so often want to walk in them but we know also that our ways are so dishonouring of your name and so we pray that you would help us. We realise that we have to live each day expecting you to help us every solitary moment of it. We ask you to forgive us in the respect that so often we take so much for granted. We ask you to forgive us for so often forgetting that that dependence is utter and absolute and uh, complete. We pray, O Lord, that as we gather here this night, that we would be thankful for this your day, the one in seven that you have set aside, not just for public worship, but for private worship as well. We would thank you for this place. We would thank you for this book. We would thank you for the people here, because uh, they all belong to you, the book, the day, the place, the people. And we ask that your spirit would be amongst us, enabling us to worship you in an acceptable way. If we don't have your spirit amongst us, this is futility. And this is a sham. And we realize that your spirit can be grieved. And a consequence of that grieving is that the spirit shuns us. And that's what robs us of peace in our souls. May we remember that, the direct connection between sin in our lives and the lack of peace. We pray that you'd remember us and you'd help us as we make our way along life's journey. In amongst all the ups and downs and all the bumps and bruises and all the twists and turns, please have mercy upon us. And it's not as if we have anything to woo you into our midst this night. We have forfeited everything. We have no merit whatsoever. Indeed, there is so much to cause you to shun us. But we have just been singing 
about your loving kindness and your mercy. Therein lies our hope. We are here this night not because of ourselves. We are here this night because of you. And we give thanks again this evening hour for the sound of little voices in our midst. Blessings from you. Bless in this congregation our young children, born and unborn. Bless others who are at the other end of the spectrum, who are drawing nigh to the end of life's journey. Help them, we pray. And bless not only those who are in the building here, but bless also those who are joining with us online at this time, who would love to be with us in person. But age and infirmities have taken their toll, and their interaction is limited. We thank you for the technologies that enable them to join, even if in a limited way. Remember those in the congregation who are struggling for one reason or another. And there are so, so many reasons. Remember those who are seeking to come to terms with the loss of loved ones. Remember others who are struggling with problems and issues that nobody else knows anything about. But they are known to you. We thank you that that is the way it is. And we ask you to envelop us in your spirit that would enable us to be united as a people of God. May we remember that soon, for every last one of us, our days and years will be gone. They swiftly pass by. The place that knows us will know us no more forever. But the mercy of the Lord is never-ending We thank you for that prospect. And we pray that you would enable us to use the time and the talents that you have given us in this world for the honour of your name whilst we have opportunity. Because there is no evangelism in heaven and there is no evangelism in hell. This is the time, if horrid. And so help us, we pray, to do all with a single eye to your glory. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in this same song, Psalm 25, page 231 of the Psalter, and at verse 8. God good and upright is, the way he'll sinners show, the meek and judgment he will guide and make his path to know. The whole paths of the Lord are truth and mercy sure. To those that do his covenant keep and testimonies pure. Down to the end of the verse marked 14, verses 8 to 14. God good and upright is.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the book of Psalms and indeed at Psalm 25. The book of Psalms and at chapter 25 and at the beginning of the chapter of David. It's one of the many Psalms that David wrote all of 3,000 years ago. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we realize that David, in writing this song, had a deep and penetrating sense of sin. 
he says that his guilt is great. And sometimes we experience the weight of guilt. And it so dejects us. And it so depresses us. But may we hold things in our balance. Because man by nature is not concerned with sin. And is not terribly bothered with guilt. But man in a state of salvation is. And we can identify with so many things in this song. David was lonely. David was afflicted. David's troubles were enlarged. He experiences distresses. And he cries out for forgiveness of his sins. We can identify with these things. But we pray that this night as we seek to lift up our souls to you. That you in turn would reveal yourself to us. And that we would know something of the loving kindness that is spoken here. That is spoken of here. It's only because you are gracious and full of tender mercies. That we would ever dare come near you. But we do dare. Because not only do you invite us, you command us. You command us to come to you in a covenant way. And we thank you that that covenant you have made with us is a covenant that accommodates shortcoming and accommodates sin. And if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And righteousness. Please help us to remember that on a daily basis remember us as we gather here and remember your church across the world maybe in great numbers in some places maybe in twos and threes in other places and remember also those who are lonely because they are all alone this night and it may not necessarily be because they live in a land of persecution that is known for its persecution. They may be not far from us. But the enemy of their souls is harassing and persecuting them in such a manner that they are all alone. But your people can never be utterly and absolutely lonely because you never leave and you never forsake. May we remember that. And wherever our loved ones are this night, we pray that you'd watch over them and you would keep them in safety. And our prayer is that we will all be together as family units in the great beyond, as part of your family, safe in you for time and for eternity. And so as we turn to your word again this night, please help us. And all we ask is, in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in Psalm 25 uh, on page 232. It's at verse 15. Mine eyes upon the Lord continually are set, for he it is that shall bring forth my feet out of the net. Turn unto me thy face, and to me mercy show. Because that I am desolate and am brought very low. We'll sing verses 15 to 19. 
of Psalm 25. Mine eyes upon the Lord continually are set. turn to the song we've been singing. I'm going to turn to the uh, first version of the uh, Scottish Psalter um, version of the Psalm 25. It's found on page 231 of the Psalter and I'm going to read again at verse 4. I'm using this uh, because this is the one that we're probably most familiar with. Psalm 25 at verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach thou me. And do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. For thou art God the dust, to me salvation send. And I upon thee all the day expecting do attend. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of this song. There are three things that we want to say a little bit about tonight. First of all, we want to say something about the ways of God. 
We then want to say something about the salvation of God because the psalmist goes on to mention that. And the third thing we want to say about is to say something about is the hope of God. But before we do that, let's refresh our memories because we began to look at this psalm last Sunday evening and we spoke about... Uh, we spoke about the soul, we spoke about trusting in God, and we spoke about the fact that David did not want shame in his experience. And as we spoke about a soul, we tried to speak, to define what a soul is, and we looked at a soul across the board, whether it was a believer or an unbeliever. We are made up of body, and we are made up of soul, and we broke the soul into an intellectual capacity. We have the ability to engage intellectually with facts around us. Two and two make four. We have the ability to read this book before us, the revelation of God. We have an intellectual capability. But we also have a capability of making decisions. We are volitional creatures. We can decide you and I have decided to come here tonight. Other people have decided not to come. We make decisions. And the third thing we looked at was our uh, emotional capability. We like some things, we love some things, we dislike some things, and we hate other things. And all these things are aspects of our souls, whether we're believers or not. But of course, when someone is regenerated by the Spirit of God, these things come into play in a specific way. And we end up doing what our second point was last week. We begin to trust in God. In other words, we engage our intellectual capabilities. We read God's Word. We not only read it, but we accept it as true, but we don't just do that. We also go on to really trust him. And because we engage with God in that kind of way, we don't want lives full of shame. And remember, shame is tied up with sin and iniquity and transgression. And so here is this man, he's engaging his intellect, he's engaging his uh, capability to make decisions, and he's engaging his emotions, and he wants to take his soul, and he wants to lift it up to God. He wants to be at one with God. And that's where we left it off uh, last week. Well, here's this person who wants to engage with God, and remember to engage with God. It has to be a spiritual engagement. Your soul must be involved in it. But it's not a case of us just doing whatever we think comes into our heads. We listen to the truth of God. It is worship of God in spirit and in truth. And here is the truth of God. It's on the pages of this book that God has given to us. We need to be into it and we need to guide everything according to God's word. When people start saying, well, I think this and I feel this and I want to do it this way and I want to do it that way, that's an emphasis that is totally and utterly wrong. 
because the emphasis there is on I what I think and what I want to do it's not upon us to make decisions about these things it's upon God and it's to do it in God's own way let me give you an example when Noah came out of the ark Noah sacrificed sacrifices to God now all the unclean animals he just had two of these of the clean animals he had seven of each of the clean animals you know Noah might well have said this do you know what the whole of this particular species of animals has been wiped out apart from seven now I know that to worship God and offer sacrifices to him I need to listen to what God is saying to me and I need to give God the sacrifices that he's looking for but Noah can say this there are so few of these animals in the world now I'm not going to waste any in a sacrificial ritual that is not what Noah did Noah gave to God what God required of him and do you know what we read of that worship it was as a pleasing aroma in the presence of God now that itself is a mind boggling concept that sinners such as you and I can worship God in such a way that it moves the very spirit and being of God but I'm not the one who's making that up God himself is telling us that these are phenomenal insights into what God is like and these are phenomenal insights into what we as human beings can do to God and can do for God and it's never ever a case of well I think this and I want to do that I mean that is the prevailing spirit of the age is it not that is the prevailing spirit of the age with devastating consequences nowadays there is no God out there there is no objective truth we look within ourselves we reflect and we come up with our own ideas of truth that's why you get people saying men who are biologically men saying no no I'm not a man I'm a woman that's the way I feel that's the inner me that's my, that's my truth or vice versa a woman saying well I'm a man that's where you end up when I, I, I predominates but when we give God his place and we listen to him and we respond in the way that is appropriate for God that's where we will generate peace or rather that's a wrong statement that's when God will generate peace in our souls we look at this I, I, I world and it's probably as much a discontented world as ever there has been in the history of the human race. Why? Because the cart is before the horse. I is before God. But when we have God in his rightful place and we are listening to God and we are doing God's bidding, not only is God well pleased, but we will know peace and we will know contentment in our souls. 
Now, I don't know if you remember that uh, one of my children's addresses recently was that one of the names of Jesus is that he's the way, and Jesus is God. And let's remember how I illustrated that. If, uh, if I wanted to get to Allapool today, I would go up to Tor Roundabout, I would take the Dingwall Road, and at the Maryborough Roundabout, I would take, I think it's the A835, but if I follow that road, it will take me to, to Allapool. Now, I can choose to go on a bicycle, or in a car, or on a bus, or I can choose to walk it. But whatever way I choose to go to Aleppo, I'm still going to have to use that road. That is the way to Aleppo. Of course, Jesus is the way for any of us to get to heaven. We need his benefits and we need his blessings. But that's the amazing thing about the gospel story, that we as sinful creatures can have this great hope that we're going to end up in heaven in the immediate presence of a thrice holy God because Jesus has done something about our predicament. But when people use their intellect and their volition and their emotions to engage with this God and their soul is interacting with him, that individual is concerned about the ways of God. And that's what this song is about. And the psalmist is saying this to God, Show me thy ways, O Lord. And that's a huge difference to someone who's saying, Well, I know what my ways are. I know who I am and I know what my truth is and I can self-reflect and I can come up with all these ideas and all these notions that is so, so different from looking out at ourselves to an objective transcendent God and saying to this God, show me, show me thy ways, O Lord. And that should be our attitude to God each and every day of our life's journey. Because at the end of the day, our short catechism begins with this, what's man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And they're so connected. If we want to enjoy life's experience and if we want to enjoy God, we've got to remember that our chief end is to glorify him. And if we're wanting to have that enjoyment in our experience, we're going to have to say to God every single day, show me thy ways, O Lord. And you know, life isn't easy. We live in a pressurized world, and so often there are so many decisions to make, and sometimes it's not clear as to how we should proceed. But there's one thing for certain, 
The way that we proceed is to turn heavenwards. Do you remember how it was with John the Baptist? We were looking at that this morning. When he ended up in a situation of spiritual depression, he sends his disciples to Jesus and he spreads out the problem before Jesus. Are you the Christ or should we look for another? That's a huge lesson for us to learn. And, and you know, I don't know, we are, we are very, very strange creatures. The more I go along life's journey, the more baffled I am. Not with you or anything like that, but, but even with myself. This journey of self-discovery. And part of it is this. Why on earth is it when we come up against issues and uh, we have to engage our volitions and make decisions and we're not sure which way to go, why, why is it that the last person at times we turn to is God? I, I'm just not sure. It's part of our twistedness and it's part of our uh, fallenness. But that's what we need to do. We need to say to God, look, please God, I'm in a predicament here and I just don't know which way to turn. I really don't know which way to turn. Will you please, please help me? Show me your ways. And there's two things I want to say about the ways of the believer. And one of the things I want to say um, is this. As far as the ways of the believer are concerned, ornithologists tell us that the golden eagle... The, the, the parent, maybe the parents, when, when it t- comes time for the chicks, when they're old enough to fly, ornithologists tell us that the parent eagles, they ruffle up the nest to make it uncomfortable for the chick. Why? Because it's time to fly. This phase of your life is over. There's a natural progression. And it's time to move on. Now if that is true, I think that's a very good illustration of how God deals with us on our way through life's journey. It's got to be a journey in which we are moving on. That's what sanctification is all about. It's a progression. And I do think that God fills the lives of the people that are dear to him. So that there's not an endless peace in this world. But rather we're moving on and moving on. And not just in terms of moving on in this world. But we're made to think of the world beyond this one. And one of the beauties of wanting to leave this world is this. We leave our depraved sinful nature behind forever. And there's something wonderfully attractive about that. Now let me just qualify that. When we are in Christ we are new creatures. But that is qualified by the word of God. The old man remains. And sin plagues the life of the believer. And you long to get away from sin. But the sad reality is this. That whilst we are in this world. I think it's going to plague. Well it's not what I think. It's what God's word reveals. It's going to be a problem. 
But when we cross over, it is no longer a problem. And that makes the immediate presence of Christ very, very attractive indeed. But that's a, the way of God from the way of the believer in this world from God's angle. But there's another angle that I want to say a little bit about. And that is the way of the believer from the devil's angle. Because let's remember this. This is a theatre of spiritual warfare. The devil hates that you are a believer. Absolutely loathes it. The wonder of the gospel is this. The wonder of God's revelation is this. He cannot pluck you out of the hands of Christ. Once an individual is justified... In the words of the epistle to the Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's gone. It's sealed. It's settled. But the enemy of our souls is a radical and is a rampant foe. And albeit he knows there is no way back, but it doesn't stop him throwing every spanner in the work that you possibly can and his agenda is the exact same agenda as the Roman Empire do you remember what the Roman Empire was about it grew and it grew and it grew until it was absolutely massive but their whole way of approach was this divide and conquer in other words divide these people and when you've divided them, you'll be able to conquer them. That is the strategy of the enemy of our souls. And I want us to remember that in the ups and downs and the rough and tumble of daily living for believers. Remember that there is something going on at a spiritual level, at an evil spiritual level and his whole agenda is divide them, divide them, divide them because that way we'll conquer them don't let him do it don't let him do it the unity of God's people is just so essential and it is just so God honouring and the devil knows that and so his whole attitude is divide them, divide them, divide them remember that in the rough and tumble and in all the problems of daily living for believers he is at it but here is David 3,000 years ago show me thy ways O Lord and let's remember this that this man who wants to lift up his soul and worship to God his soul is inward but his soul manifests itself in outward conduct we have intellects we have volition and we have emotions and these things govern how we control our bodies they govern what we do, they govern what we think, they govern what we say. And so here is somebody, and he's, wa he's wanting to be at one with God, he's wanting his soul to be at one with God, but he realizes what his soul does in governing his body determines what he does and thinks and says. And, but he wants all that. He wants to be shown 
so that it is all God-honouring. So that it's not just his within that's God-honouring, but the outward manifestation of what is within in his daily conduct is God-honouring as well. That's what the believer wants. That's what David wants. But then he moves on to this. For thou art God that dost to me salvation send. And I think this is so, so important. And we have to remind ourselves of this again and again and again. Our salvation is rooted in God. You know, sometimes, maybe in the early experience of a believer, a believer will say something like this, I gave my life to God. I gave my life to Jesus. And you know where the emphasis is there? It's on the I. But why does anybody give their life to Jesus? Why does anybody give their life to God? Because they become aware of the fact that they are sinners. And they become aware of the fact that they need to be saved. They realize that they can't do it in and of themselves. They realize that they can't take the law of God and give it utter obedience so that they're saved on the basis of their own obedience and their own merit. They realize that's not an option. It's not that they didn't try. They did. We've all tried that. We've all engaged in this kind of living whereby we're trying to dust ourselves down and sort ourselves out so that we're good enough for God to save us and it's misery but it's not just misery it's futility but we don't need to go there when you've got a saviour you don't need to go down that road you can't go down it anyway but in our folly we keep trying it but forget about it We've got a saviour and that's what this man is, this is what David is talking about. He's talking about a salvation and it's a salvation that's wrought in God. And that's the mind-boggling thing about why we are here tonight. That before there was ever a universe created, elect in Christ before the foundation of the world, How on earth does that work? That works because we are creatures of time. We all have had a beginning. We don't have an end. None of us will have an end. But we've all had a beginning. God doesn't have a beginning. And out in the mists of eternity, away back there, God has a blueprint. And God has a plan. And it's not as if in the Garden of Eden God is caught short. I didn't expect them to fall. I didn't expect them to rebel. I didn't expect them to eat of the forbidden fruit. He knew which way it was going. And in the councils of eternity, the second person of the Trinity, the Son is saying to God the Father I will become a human being I will become part of the flow of the human race I will integrate with history and I will give my life as a sacrifice to redeem a people your people and there will be my people as well 
And when you get into the nitty gritty of this revelation that God gives to us, it's just so astonishing and it is so amazing and it is so wonderful. You begin to wonder why on earth do we look to I, I, I all the time when it causes us so much grief and pain when we could listen to God and he can give us so much blessing and contentment and peace in our souls. But you know, this I, I, I thing is a dangerous thing. You know, within the doctrine that we know of as Arminianism, the emphasis at the end of the day is on I, I, I. You know, I've said very often from this pulpit that when people are nervous of themselves and people are unsure of themselves and people lack confidence in themselves that's a good place to be that's a good place to be because we are fallen human creatures and we are capable of anything and everything But when you move on into the doctrine of Calvin, the emphasis is not on the I. The emphasis is in God. This person who says, I gave my life to Jesus. And I hope we make accommodations for young believers. I hope that we are gracious and accommodating. But at the end of the day, why does anybody give their life to Jesus? Why does anybody turn to Jesus for salvation? They do so because they get an insight into their own sins. How do you get an insight into your own sin? It's only the Spirit of God sent by God the Father. A Spirit that can come on the basis of what God the Son has done in propitiating a holy God. It's only in these, this kind of way that we get an insight into what we're really like. And where do we end up at the end of the day? We end up by realizing this salvation is all of God. Utterly and absolutely. From beginning to end. It's of God it's his truth and it's his way and ought to rejoice our souls but then we must move on because I want to say a little bit about the hope of God and when I say the hope of God I'm talking about the hope that believers have in God but believers only have a hope in God because God has revealed to us what he has done for us and therefore we have hope. In this version it is an eye upon thee all the day expecting do attend. What's the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying this my every hope is in you. And I want us to remember this. That is not just true about salvation, although it is true about salvation. It's much, much broader than that. Do you know, in, during lockdown, 
one of the things that we've been made to face up to is just how we in life's journey took so much for granted when we couldn't come here to worship at all and indeed when there was no live streaming because we couldn't live stream we didn't enjoy that we did not enjoy that isolation and that lack of interaction I think we were glad to get back to this but pre-COVID times we didn't think too much about will I go to church oh, no I'll not bother today we have a different approach to things now at least I hope we have a different approach to things I hope that we don't take what God gives to us for granted. And it's not just on the COVID level. For example, our television screens and our newspapers and social media has just been inundated with the Ukrainian crisis in recent times I think they're talking about 30,000 dead in Ukraine time will tell whether the figures are accurate but it's a huge number of people but we observe these things from a great distance and you know there are times you just want to switch off the telly or you just want to turn over the page whether it's a literal page or an online page because you've had enough of it but these people don't get the choice of turning over a page or switching off the telly the bombs keep coming and they keep coming and we cannot enter into it I hope we don't forget it I hope we bring it all before God in prayer but Sometimes I think that you and I don't know that we're alive. The blessings that we have. We should be thankful for these blessings. And we should stop taking them for granted. Because it's God who's giving them to us every living day. You give us hope. We are dependent on you every living day for absolutely everything this is the way scripture puts it in you we live and move and have our being I upon thee all the day expecting to attend we are dependent on God from the beginning to the end for our salvation. But we are dependent upon God from beginning to end every single day. For everything. Utterly and absolutely. I hope we are here this night in humble recognition of God's constant alertness to our needs and a constant provision to meet them day in day out that's across the board but as far as salvation is concerned and I'll finish with this 
Life can be so up and down. And life can be so rocky from time to time. But there is one thing certain in the midst of it all. And it's not my idea this. It's got nothing to do with an eye. We're back to God. And God's revelation tells us this. He doesn't start this work of salvation only to falter and stumble somewhere along the road. He is the author and he's the finisher of it. And that's where our confidence lies. Show me thy ways, O Lord. I want to live in a way that will give you honour and will have me experiencing peace in my soul. Because you are the God of my salvation. It's all of you. And in you I hope for everything. Absolutely everything. I hope that is the way each and every one of us is this night before this God. Let's conclude by singing in the same song. It's uh, Psalm 25, the first verse, and it's at verse 20, it's page 232 of the Psalter. O do thou keep my soul, do thou deliver me, and let me never be ashamed. Because I trust in thee. To the end of the psalm, verses 28 to 22. O do thou keep my soul. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.